it's not new. The science isn't new. I've been talking about it for over 20 years. And yet when I get into one-on-one conversations with people, this is what they want to talk about. And the the background of this, when, when we're talking about self-care or taking care of yourself, it came to me through the world of energy management, right? So managing your own human energy. People used to only focus on time management and we realized that time is finite. We only get 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week, no matter how smart you are, no matter how kind you are, no matter how much you effort, that's all you get. And so the theory is, what if you brought better energy to the time that you had? What could you get out of that time if you brought your best energy physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually? You know, my amazing branding team at Alive Creative is dragging me kicking and screaming into the future, including doing these podcasts. Um, we've got a book in the works and I'm, I'm playing with the title, The Selfish Leader. And I was thinking about that word selfish and, you know, what comes up when you hear it. Like just right now, if I say you're being selfish, what does that do to you? Welcome to the Real Leadership Podcast. My name is Chris Obst. I've spent the last 25 years going deep with leaders on the real challenges they face, the stuff that keeps them up at night. Are you ready for raw and honest conversations and the reality that self-leadership and personal growth are the keys to you being the leader that you were meant to be? Welcome to the Real Leadership Podcast. Uh, Today's topic is one that um, I think we're going to have to keep an eye on the time. Uh, I've been kicking and screaming against doing um, solo podcasts because after doing a few of these, I realized how much I enjoy having a guest on, how the conversations flow, and um, my team has kept encouraging me to do solo ones. So when they suggested the topic of self-care and energy management, I said, okay, that's one I know I can sit here and talk about with passion for hours and hours. And um, probably the reason for that is, is it's something that when it came into my world, it changed my life personally and professionally. And, you know, I'd love to take credit for inventing it, uh, the science behind it. And really that's all it is, a science about the human system and how we're, we're only as good as the inputs we put in physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So what I want to talk about today is your relationship with your self care. How are you doing? What are you doing? And, and why are you doing it or why aren't you doing it? What I'm learning is that my relationship with it has changed. My understanding with it has changed. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. So you may find yourself just hearing about managing human energy for the first time today. And that's great. Or you may be someone like me who's been paying attention to it for years. What I want to focus on is your mindset. I used to call it a paradigm shift. I used to, my job was to convince smart, driven, educated leaders that if you slow down, you could go faster. If you take breaks, you will be smarter. So I felt like the the mission that I was on was to convince people that what they're doing is actually working against them. So going full tilt without taking breaks was an non-scalable model and so i felt like that was the job at hand was to convince you all that hey listen you're not a hero if you skip meals you're not impressing me or anyone else if you don't take vacation if you only sleep four hours a night and they still believe all that 
But the big shift has been around your own personal relationship with it. Like, do you believe in it enough to do this for you? So I mentioned the four tenets or the foundation of human energy and self-care, sleep, nutrition, exercise, and daytime rest and renewal, taking breaks. And I think depending on the stage of life you're in and what's going on in your world, you may need to approach each one of those in a different way. I know my journey with this has changed and, um, you know, I've got a birthday coming up and I'm deep into my 50s and I know the way I prioritize sleep now has changed completely from when I started this work in my 30s because sleep is a little harder to get. And I know there's a lot of people out there that say, well, as you age, sleep isn't as important. You don't need as much sleep. And um, Matthew Walker, who, you know, he, he's become pretty famous by his book, uh, Why We Sleep. He's a sleep researcher. Uh, he said, saying that you don't need more sleep as you age is akin to saying um, walking isn't important if you have a broken hip. It's arguably more important. It's just frigging harder to do because you have a broken hip. So getting a good night's sleep, getting quality sleep as we age is dif difficult to do. But if you want to stay sharp cognitively, it's actually really important. You know, with nutrition, I remember uh, 20, 25 years ago preaching, and my poor kids can attest to this, that, you know, you must eat within the first hour of waking. Um, eat five to six to seven times a day. We want to be grazing. Um, and I realized, and this is, you know, this is the beauty of if you really care about something, you stay with it. You stay up to date. And, um, you know, right now in light of the pandemic and, you know, the metal, medical community has come under scrutiny. And, um, you know, I think we have a responsibility to, to stay current and to be curious and to let go of some old beliefs that we had. And, Certainly around nutrition, my thinking has shifted. And when I'm working with leaders one-on-one -on -one or in front of a group, I say there isn't one nutritional model that fits all. There isn't one diet. For some of us, maybe being vegan is the way to go. For others, intermittent fasting is going to give you the highest return. For others, maybe being on a carnivore diet. Well, here's what I know to be true. Don't leave your nutritional model to chance. So, so what you put in your mouth, what you eat, impacts how you perform. Physically, emotionally, mentally. Some of us know that we get hangry and cranky when our blood sugar dips. Well, what kind of a leader do you think you're going to be when your blood sugar dips? Or a parent? Or a partner? Right? A lot of us know the, the types of foods, the amount of foods that give us a brain fog, that put us into a food coma. Well, how sharp are you? What's your decision-making, like your creativity, like after you've just ingested a meal like that? So I, I think we have a responsibility to explore and learn what works for us nutritionally. And if you leave it to chance, I think you're leaving money on the table. I think it's kind of lazy. And this is, this is one of the difficult parts about this work is here I am engaging with drivy, driven, busy professionals and I'm asking them to take the time to learn about themselves learn what works for them when it comes to exercise you know I had a learning when I first started teaching this because for me 
physical activity was part of my childhood. In fact, I got a lot of my emotional needs and my self-confidence from playing organized amateur sports. So it was a way to be seen. It was a way to be recognized. It was a way to be part of something. And I grew up with that. So it was very natural for me in adulthood to have physical activity part of my life because it was a positive association. And I had a health scare in my early 20s. I ended up in the hospital for over a month. I, I had an infection in my lower back where I didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember my family being terrified, watching me wither away, lose 35 pounds over that month in the hospital. And it was actually a blessing because I came out of there in a back brace. Um, I didn't know if I'd ever be able to play tennis or hockey or all, anything that I loved doing again. And what it did is it cemented a relationship between me and my health. So at that point, I was only 21 years old, I realized that without my health, I can't live the life I want to live. And I thought it was going to be taken away from me. And so I feel like that was a blessing and I feel lucky because, and that's one of the things when people meet me, they gravitate towards, oh, well, you look really good for your age. And it's like, well, yeah, partly it's good genetics. I'll thank my parents for that. Um, but I'd say more of it is lifestyle. So I have always exercised. And I'm not that impressive at anything. I haven't run a marathon or a half marathon. I haven't been at an elite level at anything. But over the course of my adult life, I've always been active. And I'm not looking for a medal or reward. I mean, they're not bad. I have a couple old trophies that I could dust off if you want to see them. But it's it's I feel lucky that I have that relationship. So for me to move my body every day of the week is not a chore. What I had to learn to understand is many of my clients don't have that background, don't have the story, the relationship with physical activity that I did. So when I would say, well, it's easy, just, just go three times a week, go every other day. I mean, that would just roll off my tongue. And to them, I could see a little excitement, but there's also some fear. And what I realized there's a percentage of my clientele that had a different association with physical, physical activity and their bodies. You know, maybe it wasn't something that was honored in their household. Maybe they were spent more times in the arts, right? In music or other pursuits. Or maybe they just, it didn't come naturally. So gym or phys ed class was the most horrifying experience of their adolescence. Maybe they were terrified of that one mile run. Or do I literally have to climb that rope in front of all my classmates when I know I can't even pull myself up three or four inches? So these are the stories that I didn't appreciate that other people had. And so, you know, as a, I guess, a coach, a practitioner in the field of human performance, I had to understand the philosophy and the mindset for everybody. And I'm still working on it. I'm still learning. So um, here's, here's where I've come to on physical activity. If you use your brain, if people depend on your emotions, you have to move your body. Whatever that looks like, whatever your body can do, you need to move your body because moving your body increases blood flow, oxygen to the brain. It releases positive hormones that makes you kinder, more curious, more compassionate, happier, smarter. I could go on, right? So the challenge is for you is how do you get there? How do you find a way to move your body and you know the the classic story i get is oh chris th that makes so much sense i really get what you're saying and i believe it it's just you don't understand my life right now i mean i am so busy i just got promoted um i've got two kids that need me 
Um, you know, between the laundry and staying on top of the bills, the demands, the after-school activities, I just don't have time for it myself. So here's the good news when it comes to exercise. It's actually about finding what, what that minimal dose is, that minimal effective dose that you can fit into your world that's going to make a difference. And, you know, I used to have clients that would, um, <laughs> they would email me on vacation. I remember this one woman, a very senior leader in a big organization. Her name was Susan. And we'd been working on the things that make her feel alive and grounded and effective. And she said, Chris, I, you know, my morning run is so important to me. When I, when I go for my morning run, I'm a different person. I'm smarter, I'm kinder, I'm more compassionate, I'm more creative. And then the other thing is reading. I love to, even for just for a half an hour, just to read in the afternoon, it's sort of an escape for my brain and it refreshes me. And so um, I remember this one year I got an email from her and she's in Hawaii on vacation. And it opens with, Chris, you would be so proud of me. And then she goes on to tell me that she, uh, she's been running every morning, she's eating better, she's not abusing coffee, um, she's reading every day, she feels fantastic. And so first of all, I thanked her for the email and then I said, what are you doing on email? <laughs> You're on vacation. Um, and I didn't want to spoil her vacation, so I saved what I wanted to share with her next to, to our next coaching session when she came back. And what we discussed is that being away on vacation, she gave herself permission to put herself first. She had time in her day. Obviously, the demands were less. But the ROI of those behaviors on vacation is actually quite small. So, so now she's got a rested brain and mind uh, great emotions when her toughest decision is, you know, should I have a Mai Tai or a rum and Coke? You know, should I go barefoot or sandals to the beach? The stakes are pretty low. And so what we discussed is if you felt that good putting those inputs in every day, how would that translate when you're back in your world in the shitstorm of your life with all the demands. Now you're getting a high ROI on those inputs. And it took a while, but she did understand it. And so that's one of the things that I, I find myself consistently reminding people is that it's the busier you are, and that's the counterintuitive part of this, right? The busier you are, the higher the demands, the more pressure on you, the more high leverage these behaviors like prioritizing sleep and nutrition and exercise and, and taking breaks. So. Often people will ask me, well, Chris, what's the best time to exercise? And my stock answer is the best time for you to exercise is the time that you can habitualize it. For some people, first thing in the morning is the answer. Because what they tell me is that if I knock it out first thing in the morning, then everything else that comes, I can, I can kind of flow with and pivot with and know that I've started my day with that input. But knowing how important sleep is, I don't recommend for everyone that first thing in the, in the morning is the answer. Many people I talk to say, okay, I'm going to set my alarm earlier. Instead of getting up at six, I'll get up at five and I'll go to the gym. And I always say to them, okay, as long as you feel rested. But 
if getting up at five feels like the middle of the night for you, if you're not really a morning person and you're starting your day tired, it's probably not that great an idea. Personally, because people do ask, and again, when I share my personal stories, it's just my journey and it, it changes. It's not like it's the definitive answer. I've worked out in the morning, um, at lunchtime, after work, say afternoon, and in the evening. For me, my favorite time is in the afternoon. That sort of, you know, 4.35 where I'm now moving from my quote unquote work day into my personal world. That works for me because it's like I get a boost of energy. I feel like I've accomplished my work day. I get a boost of energy and then I feel kind of productive in the evening. Um, when I worked out early in the morning, I was exhausted by 5 p.m. I was, I was just spent. So I would encourage you to play with the times and it doesn't have to be the same time every day. Habitualizing exercise is one of the keys because then you don't think about it. It doesn't take willpower. It doesn't take energy to decide to exercise the automaticity of the human brain kicks in and it says, oh, Adriana likes to do yoga at noon. So I'm going to just groove this neural pathway so that it actually feels wrong if I'm not doing yoga at noon. So that's the good news about habits is that, you know, bad habits um, are sticky and hard to break. Well, good habits are sticky too. So I think for exercise, it's, it's around recognizing that it's probably less time than you think you had to commit. I mean, 20 to 30 minutes on a regular basis. Um, in fact, if you could do 20 to 30 minutes daily, it's easier to groove that habit. And I know some people say, well, you know, I can't do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but I'm going to make up. I'm going to do three hours of exercise on the weekend. Again, the fact that you're moving is better than not moving. But you think about regular inputs. It's just like with sleep and nutrition, the more regular inputs that you put into your body about moving, about thriving, about growing, the better it's going to be for you. I guess the last thing um, for today that I want to say about exercise is I think many of us grew up with a mindset of it has, you have to endure it. You have to suffer. No pain, no gain. And I think that's old thinking. Um, the most successful leaders that I meet that have a, a fitness or exercise habit, they have a passion. So what they're doing, even though it may take some convincing to get yourself started, once you're doing it, you enjoy it. So for some people that's running, for others it's yoga, for others it's pushing weights, for others it might be cycling or hiking. I know for me, there's so many things I like doing but I like some things more than others. Exercising outdoors always feels better to me than exercising indoors, 100%. Something about being in the fresh air and nature, I think it connects with my spirit more. But hey, if it's pouring rain or I'm in an environment where there really isn't outdoor exercise available, I'll exercise indoors. But I think what's really important is to, is to find some joy in it. I know, I remember, uh, this is so funny, I just had this flashback to being I don't know, eight or 10 years old playing hockey. And that was my passion growing up. And I remember like singing to myself. Like I, I don't remember what I would be singing, but I would be, you know, a defenseman moving up with the play and just singing. And uh, I've caught myself doing that. I was out for my first bike ride of the season and it was a beautiful day. And I was riding here in, in West Vancouver and 
I caught myself singing as I was riding. And it's like there was a clue that there's, there's, it's bigger than just exercise, right? It's doing something good for me. And, you know, part of it is just being out in nature and moving. And the other part is just recognizing that I'm investing in myself. So hopefully this gives you a little bit of encouragement around this exercise thing. Not having enough time is not, it's just not a great excuse because I know the time that we can fritter away. And I think if you if you think you need to spend 90 minutes or two hours a day exercising to get a benefit, I think that's part of what might be holding you back. The other thing I want to talk about is this idea of taking breaks. So daytime rest and renewal or recovery. And, and that's one of those things that Again, I had all these analogies I used to I used to share and I didn't, you know, I picked them up from places the the Human Performance Institute in Orlando was where where I got my start with energy management and you know, we used to use the um, the analogy of a Indy car in a pit stop and saying, you know, the pit stops you think slow you down because they pull you out of the race. So you're actually you're driving 0 miles an hour. So how could that help you? Well, if you don't pit stop, if you don't refuel, if you don't change the tires, you're going to not finish the race. So, you know, that's, that was kind of a cute, handy little analogy that got people's attention. But then I started thinking about it. It's like, well, that's a machine. We're humans. But just ask yourself, how do you feel after you take a break? After you, you know, if you're, if you're extroverted in nature, you could be around people all day long and that's energizing. Well, half the clients I work with are introverted by nature. So just being in a work environment where you're connecting, whether it's on Zoom or in person, it's draining. And just to take 15 minutes, two or three times a day to yourself to just breathe, just to be alone, boosts your energy. If you don't believe me, try this. Your next work day, I don't care how big it is. I don't care if you work 18 hours a day. Every 90 minutes to two hours, take a break. Unplug from what you're doing, go take a walk, sit down, close your eyes, read a book, meditate, listen to music, but disengage from what you're doing. And it's a leap of faith because you're going, Chris, you'd understand if I add up those 10, 15 minute breaks times three or four times, we could be knocking on the door of an hour of lost productivity. And what the science says, and what I believe to be true, is that it's not an hour of lost productivity. It's an hour investment that boosts your productivity. So what will happen in the later hours is you, were, you will be um, making less mistakes. You'll be more engaged with the work you're doing. And when you go home at the end of the day, to whoever that is, your spouse, your family, your cat, your friends, you will bring with you a better version of yourself that's got the energy to either play, to engage, to laugh, to think. And you won't feel the need to numb yourself with things like binge watching Netflix or overeating or abusing alcohol because you're just fried and you can't think anymore. So try it. Take a few breaks. I mean, you can always go back to doing what you're doing. If right now you you just can't get yourself there, you're one of those people says, Chris, you don't understand. I mean, it's easy for you. You work for yourself. And hey, listen, this is not lost on me that I work for myself. So day to day, I am accountable to way less people than most of you. I get it. My kids are grown. I live on my own. I work for myself. So I don't have the same demands pulling on me. And I'm not expecting my clients and you folks to live your life like me. But what I am asking you to do is trust me and trust the science that when you regularly invest in yourself, when you regularly take breaks, 
you are going to be a better, faster, stronger, kinder version of yourself. And you're going to get more joy out of the work that you do, out of the life that you have. I really started to go after improving my sleep a couple of years ago. And, and um, it, it came from a, you know, a family situation. Um, my mother has been struggling with uh, dementia and Alzheimer for the last number of years. And, and watching what that's done to her and the rest of the family, was, it's been really hard. And um, so in my research, I found that the quality of our sleep and the quantity of our sleep actually impacts the likelihood of us getting early onset dementia and Alzheimer's, specifically deep sleep. So I started researching it and I always thought I was a pretty good sleeper, meaning I slept, you know, seven to eight hours a night. But oftentimes I would wake up tired and I could nap within two or three hours of waking up. So obviously, even though I was asleep, the quality of the sleep wasn't there. So in going after it, I did dig deep. I followed some sleep researchers, read some books. And again, I think it's not one size fits all, but there are some some very key pieces that have changed my sleep. And I'll, I'll share these with you here. And again, this is an invitation for you to examine your sleep. Please, if you do nothing else and you have a story that says, well, I'm just a bad sleeper, I want you to examine that story because your sleep habits and your sleep quality can change. So one of the big things that's happened to humans is we're spending way more time indoors than we evolved into. So if you think about the human brain and uh, the circadian rhythms, we kind of thrive when we get up with the sun, the sunlight starts to come up. And so your body kind of wakes up and then you get out and get moving. And then conversely in the evening, you start to wind down and get ready for slumber, for rest, for renewal and recovery. Because really sleep, when you think about it, it's not doing nothing. It's actually when the, the renewal and recovery of your energy systems, of your brain, this is where neural pathways get grooved. This is where learning gets cemented. This is where the cells uh, start to um, repair. So it's not nothing when you're sleeping. It's actually a very, very critical time for the human system. So honoring the circadian rhythm looks like get sunlight in your eyes as soon as you can and even if it's not sunny out get outside get out get out for a walk send the message if you can delay having your caffeinated beverage in the morning an hour or two it's a really great strategy there's some natural hormones that kick in that get us up and moving in the morning and if you flood that with caffeine you're kind of muting it and you're you're dumbing down your own system so if you can wait an hour or two before you have that great cup of coffee um, it's a great strategy Feeling unbalanced in your work and personal life? Unsure about how to increase your energy levels and sustain them in the face of increasing demands? Chris can help you by offering a fresh, insightful perspective and practical steps to regain harmony and success in your work and personal life. The other thing is moving our body. Exercising does help us sleep. If you're not physically tired, it's going to be harder to sleep. So just think about that, moving, whether you're walking or running or lifting, tire yourself out. There's nothing wrong with that. Technology has, has um, you know, has done a lot of great things for humans and it's also really been a detractor of our sleep. And so being connected to screens, and, and this, isn't, this isn't new. You've all heard about 
um, you know, the, the damaging effects of blue light, you know, your computer screens, the television screens and your phone, what it does, how it stimulates your brain and keeps you awake. So if you can start to prepare yourself for sleep by churning off the screens, winding down, like not stimulating yourself, you're going to be setting yourself up for a better night's sleep. A couple of the other key pieces is keeping your room cooler. You know, most of us are just used to being comfy. Well, for your body to drop into deep sleep, your room should be cooler. You know, sort of in the 65 degree Fahrenheit range, 63, I don't know, what's that in Celsius? 16, 17, that kind of range. The other thing is dark. So if you have a flashing light in your room or alarm clock or anything that's emitting light, see if you can cover that up overnight. So we have sensors all over our body that are picking up light. Remember, our, the human system was developed falling asleep in real darkness, staying asleep in real darkness. So all these little conveniences we have in our world can sometimes be getting in the way of our sleep. I think one of the big things in is just to, just to tell yourself that you can change and you will change your relationship with sleep. And I'm not a perfect sleeper. I mean, I sleep much better. I, I invested in a ring called the Aura Ring and there's all kinds of tracking tools out there. What I like about that is it, it showed me what I was doing to improve or detract from my sleep. So some of the lifestyle changes I've made over the last two or three years since I've been chasing sleep is, for starters, my relationship with alcohol. So I, I like a drink. I love having a beer after work or after my workout or a good glass of wine. But the data from my ring showed me that the later in the evening I, I consumed alcohol, even if it was just one or two, the more detrimental it was to my sleep. So I now have my drink earlier in the evening. I also try and have my big meal two or three hours before I go to sleep. And I had an example the other night, I was socializing and we didn't eat dinner till probably 9.30 and I tried to go to sleep at 11 and I fell asleep, but the quality was really low because my, my system was busy processing all that I had ingested. So moving alcohol to earlier in the day, I stopped caffeine at 12 noon. Now, normally I stop by 10 a.m., but I encourage people that, you know, and I used to be one of those people that used caffeine to fuel myself through the afternoon because I was dragging it because I didn't have enough sleep. So if you can stop drinking, if you're a coffee drinker, stop drinking by noon or one o'clock, it really helps with your sleep quality. You don't even realize the half-life of, of caffeine could be 8, 10, 12 hours. So that means, that, you know, it's still staying in your system for hours and hours after you drank it. My struggle with sleep right now is, is probably 70% of the time I wake up. I have a wake up sometime between 2 and 4. And I know I'm not alone. Um, I've, I've talked to family members and clients who, who have something similar. What's changed for me is because I understand this, the rhythms in, in our system. So about every 90 minutes, there's something called the ultradian rhythm in the human system. So every 90 minutes, you get a dip in energy. And so if I wake up, say, at 3 in the morning, I now know that by 4.30, I'm going to be sleepy again. So instead of stressing about I'm not sleeping and what am I going to do, I just kind of relax. I might read for a bit. I might put on a podcast or just breathe. But not stressing about it has actually made a huge difference. So it's, it's now it's like, yep, I'll, I'll fall asleep eventually. So anyway, those are just some of the things that I've experimented with. It's, it's by no means all there is to learn about sleep. What I wanted to do here today is just give you a few tips and, and the encouragement to start engaging with your relationship with sleep and, and investing in it and improving in it. Because above all, I would say sleep is 
is the most critical part for human performance and, and health and sustainability. And it, we're learning every year now how important it is. You can subscribe to the Keep Growing newsletter and connect with Chris at chrisobst.com. Well, what I wanted to do today was just, I guess, invite you to think about your relationship with your own self-care. So what's the story you're telling yourself? Are you not doing it because you haven't got enough time? Are you not doing it because you don't believe it works? Are you half-assing it because you're, you're kind of afraid of committing to a habit that you might actually enjoy and have to make time for in your life? I mean, that's, that's your journey to figure out. But what I, can, what I can promise you is that if you are willing to invest in yourself, and I was, I was talking to a colleague the other day, and she was talking about yoga. And I said, oh, you've got this new yoga habit. She said, yeah, I feel so much better and I'm more energized. And, you know, she's a busy professional with two teenage boys. And I said, well, how much, what percentage of your day is this yoga? And we looked at the math and it's about 10%. 10% of her waking hours she's investing in herself. And we were thinking about the return on that. So on that 10%, what is the return? Well, she's probably 50% happier and more productive and more engaging to be around. So that's how I'd like you to think about your own self-care. And again, if, if you can't, if you're not there where you're willing to do it for you, then by all means, do it for the people around you that are, that are waiting for you to be the best version of yourself. But I really would love for you to start thinking about why wouldn't I do it just for me? Like, am I not worth it? I hope this helped. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for listening, for staying with me. Uh, as always, if you want to talk more, you can find me at chrisops.com. I look forward to hearing from you. The Real Leadership Podcast is produced by Chris Obst Leadership and Alive Creative Services. Thank you for listening. <laughs>